Ephesians chapter number five tonight. Ephesians five. I'm so glad the kids are able to sing that song and love that. And I love hearing the kids sing and seeing them get up there. I know you do too. And appreciate very much the work that the choir's done. And um, Brother Autry, I saw him trying to catch his breath. It's, it's been, he goes at it like a racehorse. And uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of work in there. And then I uh, see the ladies up here singing. I just saw uh, Miss um, Ashley right in the back when I was in the back hallway. And she was up here on the platform. Saw Miss Chris right back there, right here on the platform. And everyone's just moving around, zipping around and doing so much. And thank you, um, Mr. Chris Bryant, for these ladies uh, putting these songs together, these ladies singing. Great blessing, isn't it? And, um, and so we got to get the men out singing again. And, and uh, there, it's just a blessing, the work. It's a lot of work, work to go into these things, but we're grateful for that. Ephesians chapter number five. We've been on this journey concerning spiritual warfare. We're still on this journey tonight. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter six, and we go into that great passage, and starting in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we've gone through that, and now we're getting into some of the practical aspects of it. And tonight, I want us to look at this matter of victory over marital strongholds. Victory over marital strongholds. We're going to pick up our reading in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Let's stand together, please. Did y'all coordinate those songs tonight, the ladies' ensemble and, and the foots? Did y'all coordinate that? Grace just went right together. And um, I, I just, I, I, I'm always uh, in awe of how God does that because it's also going to go with the message tonight. It's, it's very interesting. Two songs back to back there, and it's in the message. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. I hope you saw what Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, and that is you're going to find the great emphasis on the institution of the home right there tied and compared to the great institution, 
the love of Jesus, the church. And how the Lord Jesus loves his church is how the husband is to love his wife. How the church is to submit to Jesus is how the wife is to submit and to reverence her husband. Those who have been going through the marriage refresher, you've been seeing that it's been taken out of this passage. Husbands love, wives respect. But we've been going through this journey on our spiritual warfare journey, dealing with the armor, putting that in place. And now we're going to get to seven prominent strongholds, not all tonight. We're going to take one of those And tonight we're going to deal with how to have victory over marital strongholds. I've said it before, we'll say it again. You want revival in the church, we've got to get revival in the home. And so may God help us. We've already prayed and asked His blessing upon the Word and we'll trust Him to do so. Thank you. Please be seated. A stronghold can be defined as a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside the will of God. A stronghold can be defined as a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. Strongholds result from something invisible in the spiritual realm. That's why we've been putting the emphasis that God has given to us on everything that we're dealing with in the physical realm is stemming from the invisible strongholds, the pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside the will of God is something that results from the invisible realm in the spiritual realm, cooperating with something visible in the physical realm. Say it again, strongholds result from something invisible in the spiritual realm, cooperating with something visible in the physical realm, keeping a person trapped in an addiction or negative life pattern. You see the emphasis again of the flesh that we saw this morning? Strongholds find comfort in the flesh. Overcoming a stronghold always involves a spiritual solution. Because the stronghold is rooted in a spiritual cause. See, we overcome strongholds in our lives only by the power of Christ within us as we apply His truths to our situation and use the different pieces of spiritual armor. And we're looking at one of the several strongholds that are prominent that frequently keep people in bondage. But the principles for victory can be applied to any, even if we don't cover them in this series, they can be applied to any stronghold that you may face. I want us to see tonight, we're going to look at just three basic things. If I lump them into three different points, one is going to be an overview of a stronghold. Two, we're going to look at God's viewpoint on the stronghold. Three, we're going to see the biblical solution to the stronghold. Now, I was trying to complete this guide that we could maybe use for each of the strongholds and taking after Sunday, starting five days of a meditation and prayer guide and having different, four different areas. 
One, where we wear the truth. Two, we stand in it. Three, how we use it. And four, how we draw it down from God. Because Romans 13 verse 14 says we do more than just wear the armor of God. Romans 13, 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so this is a, a practical, how do we put on that armor? And, um, and I'll mention about that guide at the end. But I want us to think on these truths. Take the study that we've done, look at these, memorize them, memorize the passage, repeat them. Speak them to yourself. Speak them to Satan. Pray them to God. Copy them down. Place them in areas where you'll be reminded of them all day long. Let them become the dominant thought patterns that will govern your life. And as you operate with the full armor of God, you're going to discover both the freedom and the victory that are rightfully yours as the child of the king. And so let's talk about Victory, but before we can get to the victory part, because there is victory over marital strongholds, we need to diagnose and we need to look at the strongholds within the marriage. So number one, the stronghold within marriage. Many couples have a marriage that looks like it wasn't performed by a pastor, looks like it was not even performed by a justice of the peace, but it looks like it may have been performed by secretary of war. Many marriages are in such bad shape. The relationship is not a mutual admiration society. It's become rather a mutual extermination society. As a result, divorce rates are soaring, not only in secular society, but tragically in the body of Christ. Our nation is called in a divorce epidemic as more and more couples decide to call it quits. There are those that maybe who pride themselves off the fact we're not calling it quits, but you quit on marriage long ago and even though you don't go the divorce route, you still have not gone about the reviving of the marriage route. What I'm simply saying is that marriage strongholds exist. I'm not talking about outside of our church. I'm talking about in our church. Evidence of strongholds exist when married couples return, return home every day to miserable homes. They act miserable. They complain, they gripe. They set the tone for everyone else, letting them know, my name is misery and don't you try to change it. It's a stronghold in the marriage when you argue from the time you wake up until the time you fall back to sleep at night. It's a stronghold when after so many years or decades have passed, you look at your spouse and you see a stranger looking back at you. It's a stronghold when two people who have committed their lives to one another cannot even stand one another. Someone said, well, we're not there. We stand each other, but you're not together. This goes much deeper than just personality differences. Because your differences existed when you two first met. You didn't simply find differences after the wedding. Those differences were just addressed and overcome beforehand because the goal, marriage, made it important enough to do so. So while many in Hollywood have used this, 
incompatible. Uh, we, we have these irreconcilable differences. They had those differences before they ever got married. And the truth is they knew it about each other. It's just that the goal was important enough to address and overcome those differences. Divorces frequently occur as a result of a stronghold in the way marriage, listen, is actually viewed. See, most people view marriage as a way of finding love, happiness, and companionship. Well, those are good things. But every one of those are secondary to the primary purpose of marriage. So when someone wakes up and they feel like, I don't feel loved, I don't find happiness, and this is not a good companion for me, they feel like their marriage is illegitimate or falling apart. It might be falling apart, but it's not because of those things. It's because you have a wrong view of marriage. Again, love and happiness and companionship are good, but they're secondary to the primary purpose of marriage. See, we begin to overcome marriage strongholds when we understand the purpose of marriage. God didn't simply institute marriage because he was looking, well, for something else to do. No, God created marriage as one of the primary tools through which he fulfills his destiny for you and advances his kingdom. Did you get that? Amen. All right, let me make sure the rest of you gets it as well. God created marriage as one of the primary tools through which he fulfills the will of God in your life and his destiny for you and he advances his kingdom. See, Satan was the cause of the first marital conflict in history. When he enticed Adam and Eve to rebel against God's word, we find that in Genesis chapter 3. And what this led to was the blame game. What it led to was the pain game. And the battle between the sexes began. And this first marital conflict, it also resulted in Sibling rivalry between the children. Make no mistake, marital conflict is a spiritual issue. Number one, we see the stronghold within marriage. Number two, I want you to see God's viewpoint. God's viewpoint. See, marriage is a covenantal union designed to enhance and strengthen the capacity of both partners to carry out God's plan in their lives. Marriage is a covenant that is designed to enhance and strengthen the capacity of both partners to carry out God's plan in their lives. See, that's why those who are single looking to get married if you're not focusing on what God's focusing on concerning you being right with God, right with your church, you're not ready for marriage. You say, I so much want to be with somebody. I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. I'm just so desperate. Why don't you get desperate for God? I said, why don't you get desperate for God? We read about this covenant. In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter number two. Let me bring that up on the screen there. Malachi chapter number two. And if, save you time from going there. Look at this covenant, verse 13 and 14. 
And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion, and the wife of thy, what's the word? See, strongholds show up in our marriages when no, we no longer realize that marriage is a covenant. Or don't we even understand what a covenant is? See, in order to break marital strongholds, we need to realign our thoughts in keeping with God's viewpoint of a covenantal marriage. And this is, if, if you're going to get past the strongholds, this is absolutely key. And so this God's viewpoint. He's looking at it. This is a covenantal union. And there's a purpose that God has. It's not just to make you happy and, and feel lovey-dovey on the inside. No, it's to carry forth His plan of the will of God and drawing closer to Him, knowing Him better, and spreading the revival flame of God through the conduit of your marriage. Number three. God's solution. Biblical covenants are spiritually binding legal arrangements God makes between Himself and His people. See, each covenant that God makes involves three facets. One would be the rulership of God. The second would be the alignment established by God. That's a hierarchy. And then there's ethics, that is rules and sanctions and, and this, that which God sets in place. But covenants can never function as they were intended without the overarching governance of God. See, when God's viewpoint and authority is dismissed from the marital covenant relationship, the door then is left open for Satan to bring destruction into the home. Makes no difference whether you're sitting in the pew or you stand in the pulpit. When God's viewpoint and God's authority is being dismissed from the marital covenant relationship, then the door's left open for Satan to get in to influence and bring about destruction to the home. Remember, marriage is a sacred covenant. It's not a social contract. One of the rules for understanding the Bible in hermeneutics, the science of studying the Bible. And one of the, the rules for understanding the Bible is called the law of first mention. That means if you want to know what God says about something, study the first time that he brings it up. And then you trace through the Bible, you see God building upon that. Everything else will build or expand the original mention. So to go deeper into God's viewpoint on marriage and his solution for overcoming marital strongholds, we need to look at the book of Genesis where God initiated the idea of marriage. First, God created mankind in his image. And then he said, let man rule. In that very declaration, what God did was release the exercise of dominion and authority to man on earth so that mankind could manage his creation. Now, that doesn't mean that God has relinquished his sovereignty. He has maintained a base of sovereign boundaries across which 
humanity cannot tread. However, God has opened up an arena where you and I get to call some of the plays and then live by the consequences of either being wise or being foolish regarding those plays. So you can have a satisfying or an unsatisfying marriage based upon whether your rule reflects the image of God that you were made in. The health of the home is determined by whether the husband is reflecting God and his character accurately in his role or whether the wife is reflecting God and his character accurately in her role. So what that means is every time there is a marital breakdown, one or both of the partners are no longer living a life that reflects the rulership of God through them. So what Satan attempts to get us to do is to turn our rule over to Satan. How does he, gonna, how does he do that primarily? No one sits here and says, Satan, where are you? I want you to take charge. No, he does it through the vehicle the terrorist within the body, the flesh. And when Satan gets us to turn our rule over to him or to rule poorly based on our viewpoints, you see why God says, Proverbs chapter 3, lean not unto your own understanding. One reason he does that is that the breakdown of the home leads to the breakdown of society. Most of the negative realities present in our society today can be directly tied to the failure of marriages and families to authentically reflect God's rule. Listen, I don't care who the people are. Anybody that's going to blame society for their family, anybody that's going to blame a color of people for their oppression, this is why my kids are not going to turn out. No, if your kids don't turn out, it's because you've got a broken home. And it makes no difference whether you are flourishing in the Fortune 500 or you're sitting in persecution in an underground church hiding from those who are looking to take your life, you can have victory in Jesus no matter where, no matter what's going on. And as long as you want to blame society, the devil says, I'll prop you up. You say, you don't know what my people have gone through. No, I'm talking about God's people here tonight. And God's people, if you have Jesus, you've got everything you need to be victorious. You don't know what my family has gone through. I haven't had stable father in my home, in my, my, my home, my parents' home, my parents' parents' home. I, I had, we haven't had stable manhood. Well, the cycle can stop with you. Most of the negative realities present in our society, again, can be directly tied to the failure of marriages and families to authentic, uh, authentically reflect God's rule. The rebellion introduced in the garden, what it did was it led to chaos replacing calm. Death replacing life. Pressure replacing peace. 
not only in our homes, but that translates into our communities. I mean, I, I can't help but when I see on TV, I see the, the rioting crowd, I see the, the, the looting, I see the, uh, you see on the West Coast, Chicago, you see the CVSs and Walgreens being ransacked and so that they can increase our rate so we can pay for it and, and they just continue to leave the, and you see all this. I, I sit there and, and never have I once sat there and thought, I bet their mom and dad are awfully proud of them. Someone says, well, they probably don't have a mom and dad. That's the point. Whichever route you go, the problem goes back to the home. The purpose of marriage extends much further than simply a relationship between two people. The purpose of marriage extends much further than simply a relationship between two Two people, because in a covenantal marriage, the first truth to recognize is that there are more than just two individuals entering into this covenant. A husband and wife enter into a covenant when they get married, but they enter into the covenant with God Almighty. The key to overcoming marital strongholds is recognizing the presence of God in the union and functioning in light of His presence. Woo, let's do that one again. The key to overcoming marital strongholds is recognizing it ain't just about you and her or you and him. It, the key to overcoming marital strongholds is recognizing the presence of God in the union of marriage, the covenantal union, and functioning in light of his presence. Amen. It's the connection of Spirit to spirit through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what en enables couples to gain victory in their marriage. Remember that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. We dealt with that in this journey, in this series. The physical attraction, our bodies, that may have been the initial element that drew two people together but the reality is that fades. Then you have our soul. The soul is the you, the real you. But due to the distortion from sin and circumstance, that will often lead to conflict or attempts to manage the relationship, not unify. Because the soul is flesh. That's where flesh gets in. So victory over marital strongholds is not found in the physical. It's not even in the, the soulish aspect of the, the flesh, but it is located in the spirit of man. Why? Because in the spirit of man, that's the home to the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit unites with our spirit and we individually draw closer to God, he brings us together as one. Are you with me? What does that mean? It means you cannot leave God at the altar and expect to have a healthy marriage. You can't. And some, for some people, the, the most spiritual that their marriage seemed was at a wedding. 
That's why I've become determined and purposed that I will not marry anybody until there is adequate and extensive premarital counseling. I cannot be part and parcel to bringing a couple together simply because they're in love and they want to. There's an obligation before God to enter into this covenant recognizing it's not just two of you, it's with God Almighty Himself. And if we don't get a hold of that revival ahead of time and deal with flesh and deal with stubbornness, deal with rebellion and deal with the blind spots now, and if there's not a willingness to dig in and become tenacious about this, you're going to have some massive strongholds and strongholds that Satan is going to plant that are designed to rip and ruin your marriage and lives. The key to overcoming marital strongholds is recognizing the presence of God in the union and functioning in light of his presence. So many people today are married in the body, attraction. Or they're married in the soul for companionship. But few are married in the spirit. Oneness. They're married today in body. Or they're married in the soul as companionship. But they're not married in spirit and oneness. You say we're one. Not if one of you ain't right with God. One reason so many strongholds show up in marriages today and so many people want to divorce is they never got married correctly in spiritual oneness to begin with. They failed to understand a foundational truth. It's found in Genesis 2 and verse 24. Listen to what it says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. See, the problem arises when two people do not even want to become one flesh. Instead, they remain content to remain as two flesh in one home. Two flesh. She has her bank account. I have mine. She's got her job. I've got mine. She's got her money. I have mine. She has her schedule. I have mine. She has her bed, I have mine. When Jesus was asked about the issue of divorce, Jesus referenced the one flesh principle in his response. The interesting point is that Jesus' answer didn't directly connect with the question on the surface. It's because the question had been whether or not it was okay to get a divorce. Mark chapter 10 and verse 2. Can we, do we have this up there, Brother Cherry? If not, we can turn to it. This is so key. I need us to get this. So the Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting Jesus. In other words, the Pharisee is saying, if people think they have a reason enough to divorce Jesus, do they then have reason enough? If they want to call it quits, Jesus... Can they? Now, Jesus didn't give a yes or no answer. Well, he's much too smart for that. In verse number three, Jesus answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? 
Verse 4, And they said Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. Verse 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Verse 7, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. See what the Pharisees asking? If the married couple think and feel that they should get divorced, is that okay? And Jesus did not give a yes or no answer. Instead, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. If you understood the nature, the purpose, and the covenant of marriage, and if you function accordingly, that question could never be brought into the discussion ever again. See, becoming one flesh, the two are to become one flesh. And who makes them one flesh? Not the preacher, not the justice of the peace. God Almighty does that. And becoming one flesh, the two are to complement each other so deeply and so intimately because they honor the presence of God and they live in light of the presence of God that they become one without losing their personal identities. I want to give you one word that can help you restore marriage. You got some strongholds in your marriage tonight? I want to give you one word that can bring life back into your marriage. If, if, if you'll get as serious about this as God is. That's why we're having a marriage refresher. Someone says the thing is so stinking simple. I feel like Naaman, who had leprosy, isn't that right? Was it Naaman had leprosy? And he comes and, and um, comes to the prophet. Prophet says, I want you to dip down seven times into the Jordan River. And he was put out. Aren't there better rivers? Don't you know who I am? And he's going to go away. And his servant said, well, what if the prophet asked you to do something hard? You would have thought that would have been better. Why don't you just trust God and obey and do what the prophet is asking and maybe you're going to find that he might know something after all and he got in and it wasn't dipping down one time or two time or three time or four time. It was to do exactly what he was given because if you're not willing to do that, why should you expect God to meet you where you want him to meet you? That's why when it comes to counseling now, I give homework. Because if you don't do the homework, you're not that serious about it in the first place. Pastor, what should I do? And I'm asking the question now, does it even matter what I say? Are you in here just to tell me what you think and to get my, my opinion so you can throw me under the bus? Or do you really care to know what is right and wrong, what will change your life and save your soul? And if you're not serious enough to become a doer and put some feet to this talk of yours and get after it, God help you, you're, you're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be a statistic. 
when God wants you to be a great success for Him. So I want to give you one word that can restore life, revival, re, again, vive life, that can bring life again to your marriage if you both take it to heart. When you live out this one word, I guarantee you by the authority of God's word that you will overcome marital strongholds. You ready for it? Grace. Grace. The ladies sang grace for grace. The foot sang filled of grace. And in my notes, I have grace. Most marriages today operate by the law. You're supposed to do this. Well, you're supposed to do this. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're supposed to do this first. It don't matter. You're supposed to do this. And if you do this, then I'll do this. You're living by the law. And what have you learned in Galatians so far? The law does what? It, it kills. For marriage to flourish, it must live by grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor, yes. But what's the favor? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, but what are the riches? I think one of the best passages that help in this is when Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 concerning his, his particular difficulty. And Jesus said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Jesus went on to say, Paul, my strength is made perfect or complete in your weakness. Paul's understanding of what he just heard about God's grace, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is God's grace? Jesus said, my grace is my strength Paul said, it's God's power. You want to see victory over the stronghold in your marriage? You want to see life again? You say, you don't know who I'm married. I am married to Ingus Khan's brother. You have no idea. But I want to tell you this. God's grace is sufficient. It is Here's the wonderful thing about what Jesus said. If it's sufficient, you don't have to pray, Lord, make it sufficient. No, it is. You don't pray for Him to make what already is. See, God's grace is in His enabling power to be what you ought to be, to do what you ought to do. Well, how do I get it in my life? Let me ask you, how did you get grace that brings salvation? By faith. What does that mean? That means you took the gift and in essence you said thank you. What does eternal life feel like, Brother Rice? I don't know. But by faith, I know I have it. And you can take more grace. Grace 
for grace. There's a field of grace. And we can keep taking grace, the power to be what I'm supposed to be, do what I'm supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us this truth. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26. So ought men to, or excuse me, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Listen, this truth will change everything. This truth about God's grace, taking it the same way we got saved by faith, taking the enabling power to be what I'm supposed to be, do what I'm supposed to do. Are you a husband? If you are, say amen. According to what God Almighty says, you're to love your wife in a way in which you'd give yourself and even die for your wife in a spirit of grace as Christ loved the church. Lady, are you a wife? Say amen. I think we have a few more than that. Let's try that one again. Some of you are ducking out there. Ladies, are you a wife? Say amen. I don't know. That's even better. I think you had some more drop out. <laughs> Wives, you're to live for your husband in the same spirit. When this principle is carried out, there will be a dynamic experience in your marriage. It won't be perfect. It's not going to be problem-free, but it will be authentic. It will be alive. It will be pleasing to God, and it will be complete in its union. Husband, so what does it mean to love your wife in a way that is giving yourself and the kind of love that would die for my wife as Christ gave himself for the church? Well, once you love your wife with a supernatural divine love by the power of God, because to love your wife like Christ loved the church, it's not automatic for any man. No man can read Ephesians 5 and say, I got that one. No, you read Ephesians 5 and you have to, if you're going to be honest, say, I can't do it. Not without the power of God, I can't do it. Not without the grace of God, because it's divine supernatural. But what does it mean to love your wife as Christ loved the church and have this dying for my wife kind of a love? Well, once you love your wife with a supernatural divine love by the power of God, it means, sir, allowing your dreams, your will, your desires, your choices to come second to a true love for your wife. Some of you men, you've been bent on making a name for yourself. And you have. And you've got some strongholds in your marriage that have some names as well. Your responsibility is to love and to cherish your wife. Amen. See, biblical love can be defined as seeking the well-being of another even at your own expense. I mentioned this to the staff. It was told of James Dobson. 
How many recognize the name James Dobson, Focus on the Family? When James Dobson was in school, high school, he was having trouble, having difficulty. James Dobson's dad was an evangelist, well-known and very booked up and traveled extensively. James Dobson's mother, though, recognized we've got some problems with James, and she contacted her husband and said, we've got to do something or we're going to lose little James. James Dobson's dad, being a man in tune with God, more concerned about honoring God than filling a schedule and making his ministry work, he canceled his meetings. He got a job at a local company so he could stay home and invest in his son. For two years, he invested in his son working like anyone else, a hard job that he was really not qualified for because he was a preacher and was just didn't have the, the capabilities that others may have because that's not how he was trained. And yet he did all of that to invest in his son. After two years, they, they seemed to get through it and James had turned the corner and he thought, now I'm able to step back. I'll go back into evangelism. Brother Entry, but for whatever reason, the circle he was in, they just didn't take him back. And he never got meetings. But little James said, I'll never get over what my daddy did for me. And he'd walk away from that which he felt was the biggest thing in his life to show that there was something bigger than making a name for himself or ministry that would reach other people. What good is it to reach other people and lose your own home? James Dobson said, my daddy made such an impact on me. That's why there's focus on the family. Husbands that begin begins with your wife. Biblical love. It's seeking the well-being of another even at your own expense. It's the kind of love that places the well-being of your wife above your own well-being. It means viewing your wife through the same lens of love that God views her. If you see your wife only as someone to raise your kids, wash your clothes, organize your life, cook your meals, then sir, you don't have a wife, you have a maid. God has uniquely designed a woman with skills and abilities that are to be utilized to complete and enhance your own masculine skills and abilities. But when she trusts and experiences that you value her, she will, she will, she will, she will respond to your needs without the necessity of a law requirement to do so. Why? Because women have been fashioned to respond. It is up to the man to set the tone of the home through leadership that demonstrates sacrificial love in order for her to do so. Now, those are great statements. I mean, I, I, I've, I've highlighted them in blue and purple, and, and over here I highlighted it in purple and green, and, and, and it, yet it just went over some of your heads. So it makes me think, I just didn't word it right, say it right. 
Maybe the problem it just goes over our heads is because you know how to do this. You do. Because I dare say every man did it while you were dating. The problem is that most men date to marry rather than married to date. It's called backward Christian soldiers. When was the last time you took your wife in your arms and told her, the best thing I ever did in life was marry you? When was the last time you cupped her face in your hands and said, you are my life? When was the last time you sent a Valentine's card to your wife when it wasn't even Valentine's Day? Or you watched the kids, you listened when she talked, you took on her pain, you shut up your belly aching and complaining, and you validated her skills, her dreams, her hurts, and her life. When was the last time you, tr- let me say that one again. When was the last time you watched the kids listen when she talked? When was the last time you took on her pain? Or validated her skills, her dreams, her hurts, and her life? When was the last time you truly sacrificed for her? A man once said to his pastor, my wife is killing me. The pastor replied, well, you said you wanted to be more like Jesus, didn't you? Loving your wife as Christ loved the church is a man's key to overcoming marital strongholds. I say that, that about the, what the man said to his pastor, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, but, but I say it also in sincerity because didn't Jesus love the church so much that he gave himself? He literally died. We think something's wrong with her when she simply gets me out of my comfort zone. Let me say something to the wives. Especially since you didn't say amen when you were supposed to a moment ago. Your part is, as a wife, just as powerful. Keep in mind that nowhere in the Bible is a woman commanded to love her husband. Now, God expects you to love your husband. But it's not commanded the way a man is commanded to love his wife. Why? And those coming to the ministry refresher, ministry, marriage refresher, you're hearing um, Dr. Emerson Egrich talk about that. But let me say another reason why God has not commanded wives to love their husbands the way he's commanded a husband to love his wife. It's because that's not what your husband ultimately needs the most. What your husband ultimately needs the most and those coming to the marriage refresher, you know the answer, it is what? Respect. Respect. Your husband should feel like a king around you on top of the world. I'm thankful for my wife who does make me feel that way. I'm not, I'm not a king. But boy, she makes me feel that way. Your husband should hear you call him your strong tower. He is your head. God said so. 
And your role is to submit to Him as your head. It doesn't mean that you're to be walked on or that you have to agree with everything He does. Submission means that even if you disagree with His point, you're going to respect His position. My wife knows there are things that I don't necessarily agree with. I'm not even sure, but I, I, I have got to make a decision. And I love the fact that she respects that in me. Of course, you're never to submit to something that contradicts God's revealed will and His Word. But that's really seldom ever the case. People use the hypothetical. What if my husband, he makes me do this? So I ask, well, has he? Well, no, but I just wondered what if, he, what if he did. See, we're not struggling with the hypotheticals. We're struggling with the obvious. Regardless of differences, differences in education and abilities and preferences, when your husband seeks to align himself under God's rulership, he is your head and he should be the recipient of your highest respect. Love, respect, they are offered in grace. Grace. We tried it and it didn't work. Grace does. God's power does. When both parties abide by these principles, the marriage will no longer be under the influence of a stronghold because the two will hold up each other and mutual strength. Let me ask you. Do you feel your marriage is worth fighting for? It really doesn't matter to me what you say. Because God says it is. What I'm asking is. Are you willing to get right. And get your stinking filthy wicked pride. That came out of the pit of hell. And that's exactly where I ought to go back to. Get it dealt with. And get it addressed. And stop your whining. And stop, stop acting sir. Like a little girl. Act like the man that God made you to be. Act like the man that can get a hold of God's resurrection power. You take the lead. You take the lead. You take the lead. Stand together, please.